0: There's no veiled shots at anybody. When we drafted Bagley at two, we were high-fiving like crazy. We got the right guy for us. This isn't going to be a story in three days, and it will definitely be buried five years from now when we have the next Durant Westbrook. That's how good they're going to be. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team... Every day. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore b Today we're going to be looking back at Monday's games including a, a couple of weird things that did happen in the NBA and then we're going to preview Tuesday's four games for DFS. Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. Ah uh, yes, Mr. Bolton, he is ready to go. Let's start where we always do in these shows, of course, with monstrous line of the night it goes to none other than Jim Harden of the Houston Rockets 41 minutes for Harden in the victory over the Jazz 47 points an absolute monster performance four triples six rebounds five assists and five steals 45 percent from the field and a whopping 15 of 16 from the free throw line Harden of course we know how good he's been this season he's the number two fantasy player over the course of the season, right in line with where he was last season, right in line with where we thought he'd be this season, just doing everything that we wished him to do. He is uh, doing it, and I don't really see much of that changing. Amazingly, he is averaging more points per game this season than what he averaged in his MVP year last year. Absolutely fantastic stuff from Harden. And if you drafted him, and you could have got him outside the two, top two in nearly every draft possible, well, not nearly every one. Um, he was available at outside that top two in a lot of different scenarios You'd Be pretty happy with the way that it has panned out for you so far. Waiver wire line of the night. The waiver wire line of the night is Emmanuel Moutier. Now, this is not one that I predicted that would have any sort of relevance this season. Moutier, um, it was traded to the Knicks last season, didn't really do much, struggled in his first couple of years in Denver, in Dallas in New York um and but it's really coming on at the moment and Fizdale and I shit on Fizdale a lot I'm not a massive fan of him but he did put faith in Moudier uh and it's paid off and Moudier has looked good so I do have to give him credit for for realizing this um and for actualizing some of Moudier's potential which has taken four years to come around but it's looking pretty strong at the moment. Moudier in this game was great 32 6 6 with two triples. There are a few caveats here. He had 31% usage And this, it's helped by the fact that Tim Hardaway was out, as well as Damo Dotson, as well as Alonzo Trier, and of course, good old Christoph Porzingis. Although, we don't know if Porzingis is going to be back at all this season, but those other guys do have an impact, and 57% from the field is not a realistic number for Moutier, but he is shooting 47% from the field this year. That is a huge step up. Now, last year, he was at 39. The year before, he was at 38. The year before that, 36, a really sexy symmetry there, and he has gone and screwed that up by going at 47 this season. He's also got his free throws up to 83% over the last month, and he's shooting 33% on threes, another career high from Emmanuel Mudiay. So putting up enough numbers, and over the last two weeks, a top 80 player in 31 minutes, averaging 19, 3, and 6. And that's coming on field goal percentage, the same as what it is over the course of the season. So it's not a 55% hot streak that he's on over these last two weeks. It's 475 as opposed to 47.1% over the course of the season. It's just that the usage has spiked and the minutes have spiked. Trey Burke is back and he played a sizable role in this game. But some of that, again, still is to do with the Hardaway, and Trier absences. And Moutier probably doesn't settle in at 31 minutes a night. It's probably more of a 26 to 29 minute zone for him. Um, but with the way he's playing at the moment, you you ride that hot hand, you ride the way that Fizdale is using him, and it might not last, and all odds are, it probably won't, especially the playing time, as Fisdale can jerk him around, but that is four consecutive games for 30-plus minutes. The problem is, we look back to the two games before that, it was 19 and 26 minutes, so that's, I guess, somewhat of a concern, but riding at the moment, he's had two 30-point games in his last three games, he's had at least six assists in four consecutive games, he shot over fifty percent in two of the last three as well. I think you have to look at Emmanuel Mudiay as a twelve-team league must-add player. Again, there are certain things there which would make you think that it could drop off the usage, the minutes, and the field goal percentage. But it's not crazy to think he's now a forty-seven percent shooter. Or maybe it's a little bit crazy. It's not. Um, it's not a. It's not a ridiculous. Um, it's not a ridiculous number to uh, to expect him to be at for the rest of the season. He has been yeah, much more impressive this season than at any other point in his career, and it is worth noting that and, uh, and paying attention to it for Fantasy Leagues, no doubt about that at all. Guys... Make sure you are following me on Twitter at RedRock_Bibel, but also the Locked On Podcast Network at LockedOnNBANet. All of the hosts pushed into one feed. It's an unprecedented sort of thing. Great news, great info, right across that feed. Locked On NBA Net, and then you can find us also on Instagram at the same handle. The bigger stories, uh, condensed, filtered into the Instagram stories, sixty second stories of the day. So go check out Locked On NBA Net and on Twitter and on Instagram. All right. Let's move in to the next one. It is the deep leaguer of the night. It's Stan Johnson of the Detroit Pistons. Stan was really good in this game. He got hot. Twenty-five minutes off the bench for Stan Johnson as he returns from his injury. Twenty points with four triples, six rebounds, two assists, and a block on eight of fourteen shooting. He's rostered in only three percent of league, so that's a number which probably is a little bit low for a regular rotation player, probably should be uh, rostered in more leagues than that. He's a top 180 player, which would make him a 16-team league guy, meaning he should be off more uh, more waiver wires than that. He gives you a steal a night so far this season. He's not doing massive amounts in, in many categories, but he's improved his shooting. He's improved his free throws. He's still only hitting 30% on threes, but that's better than what he's done the last two seasons. There's still nothing overly sexy about Johnson, and I don't really think he's becoming any sort of twelve-team league player or anything along the, along those lines at any point in the uh, in the near future. But for what he's doing at the moment, it's uh, it, it's it's solid enough, and it, it's solid enough to be rostered in more leagues than he than he currently is. So I think you should be looking at Stan in those deeper formats, but I wouldn't be reading too much into those numbers for standard formats at this point. Young gun of the night. The young gun of the night is Larry Markkinen of the Chicago Bulls. Markkinen did something which uh, I talk about him having um, issues with uh, being able to achieve, and that is get defensive numbers. He played 28 minutes in the blowout loss against the Thunder, had 16 and 15, but two steals and two blocks. His efficiency hasn't been right since he returned from that elbow issue. Six of 17 for 35% is not ideal, and he's shooting just 37% from the field this season. But he's averaging one and a half steals and one block per game. For reference, last season, he played an additional two minutes per game and averaged 0.6 steals and 0.6 blocks. So there's a huge bump there. Now, either he's improved significantly in those areas, or they're going to come back to earth. And at this point, I'd say it's a coin flip as to which one of those is true. The efficiency though with Lowry will bump up. His minutes will start to push up as well to, to above 30. And he's a clear must roster player. I don't think he can quite be a top 50 player. I think he should be a top 70 sort of guy for this season. Probably a top 60 guy, um, especially if those defensive improvements that we've seen in terms of generating stats in those games since he's come back is able to maintain, which it might be a little bit of an ask, but it has been a strong start so far for Larry Markinen. The next award of the day, a, a dud of the night on the back of a young gun of the night for yesterday for De'Aaron Fox, who played six minutes and had one rebound. The Sacramento Kings, we will talk about that in their game breakdown, but safe to say, I'll have some words about it, I'll have some thoughts about it, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, Foxy was your dud of the night. It could not have been any worse after I talked him up yesterday saying the shooting was going to drop off. Yeah, it was. I do not think it was going to be this bad. Uh, and of course, this is uh, highly unrepresentative of what Fox is going to be for the rest of the season. So I think you can look at that, that Kings game, piss on it, and throw it straight in the toilet because there's just nothing to really pay any attention to. And but we'll, we will talk about it when we get to the box score breakdown portion of the show. The plus minus goats to Davis Bertans, had the best net rating of a plus seventy seven point three. He started the second half after Don- uh, after Dante Cunningham sucked. What a shocker in the first half, and then the worst net rating went to Avery Bradley, a negative one hundred and seven point nine. He is he's so bad. I don't understand why how he is just this bad now. He cannot do anything. The there is no reason that he needs to be playing thirty minutes a night on this Clippers team. He is. He struggles in a massive, massive way and continues to do it pretty much every game. And it's uh, it's pretty weird to see after being a guy who was such a strong part of the Celtics teams a few seasons ago. Injury report, Otto Porter is out for the rest of this week. Uh, that's going to give some value there. Trevor Ariza is going to step into a, a role. I would imagine uh, Jeff Green steps in as well. My name is Jeff. And he starts for Otto Porter. That can give Green some short-term value there. Ariza should be grabbed in 12-team leagues if he's available. Timmy Hardaway, as I referenced, he missed today's game with foot soreness. Nothing overly to be worried about long-term, I don't believe, but it is something we do need to pay attention to. While Mike Conley was ruled out of the game against the Warriors for the Grizzlies today with that hamstring, which has been bothering him over the last 7 to 10 days, Shelvin Mack got the start, and that gives a boost to Javon Carter in deeper formats. I think that we might see a couple more missed games here for Conley as they try and get him right from this hamstring injury, but it doesn't appear to be anything too serious, which is great. Let's talk the other news, though, is Austin Rivers has been waived by the Phoenix Suns before playing a game for them. I don't know what is going on in this whole trade scenario. So many confusing things. So in the end, the Phoenix Suns ended up getting Kelly Oubre in exchange for Trevor Ariza. No draft pick compensation, No nothing else. Now, they signed Ariza, which I didn't like as a free agent move. They were going to flip him for assets. They got one thing back in return. Now I didn't think that getting Rivers was a great idea. And I don't have any problem with them actually waving rivers because it does give them the opportunity to play the guys who they should be playing, like D'Anthony Melton in that point guard spot. But it's a weird return for that Ariza deal to get Ure back, who I don't believe is good really at all. And now he's going to be a restricted free agent that you're going to have to... Someone's going to fall in love and, and pay some money to him in a in a, a more player-friendly cap environment this summer. And that could end up being a bad contract for Phoenix. So in the end, the Suns may either have to overpay to keep Ure or they signed Reza and flipped him for nothing. like Literally nothing at all. Um, again, I don't hate the move of Rivers being waived here. It's just a confusing one, especially when so much of the talk surrounded the Suns yeah, acquiring a point guard. We need point guard help. We need point guard help. They got a questionable point guard and then waived him. And I think it probably went something along these lines is that they said to Austin, you're not going to start here. Great decision for Phoenix. Uh, you're going to play a limited role. And he said... Guys, can you do me a solid and get me out of here? And they said, yes. That's what it feels like. The Suns are known to be, as for as shitty a franchise and owner as Sava is, they can be quite player-friendly. They bought out Tyson Chandler so he could go play somewhere else just to be player-friendly. They signed Earl Watson because Tyson Chandler and PJ Tucker said, no, he's a good coach turns out he wasn't. They drafted DeAndre Aiden, not entirely because Devin Booker said yeah, he's the guy we need to pick, but that was the reasoning that the general one of the reasons the general manager gave all oh, the players all thought that was a good pick. Cool, that's never what you should be doing. There's just a lot of instances of the Suns listening to everything their players say and trying to make everything seem good uh, to to potential players coming there, but it doesn't always work out in, in their favor. So that's how I imagine it went down. I don't have any knowledge that that was the case but it would seem that that was they said we we we're rebuilding here you don't actually have a, a role and river said cool, get me rid of me and uh and they did and he's gone now, in terms of what this does to the existing Suns players, I was a little bit worried about what was happening with DeAnthony Melton. He's only played 21 minutes a night since Devin Booker came back, and I thought, shit, when Rivers comes, are his minutes going to be cut even further? Well, that's obviously not the case, but still, the arrival of Booker pushing Melton to 21 minutes a night was concerning, but we do have to pass that through the lens of knowing that in those games, Jamal Crawford's playing 26 a night, which, and he had a good game today, is He's fine when he has these good games, but it's not a long-term sustainable thing for Croft. Well, it shouldn't be anyway on a rebuilding team to have 74-year-old Jamal Crawford out there playing bad defense and jacking shots. So if they're going to use that same logic on cutting Austin Rivers, then those minutes, you know, six seven of those minutes, they should be going towards D'Anthony Melton or Josh Jackson or McCall Bridges. And I think Kokoshkov will get there eventually. So I do believe that you know, Melton, if you've got him in a 12-team league, you probably want to look at holding him now just to see how this pans out. In 21 minutes, he can still be a top 150 guy, but I think that'll push to 24 or 25 over the coming uh, weeks. And the, the, some of those minutes will siphon away from Crawford. So it hasn't been great for him with Booker back. And it probably won't be that great for him in the next three or four days, because we also have to add Ubre back in that discussion as well, which I think might force Kokoshkov into more point-booker lineups, which will obviously take some of those minutes from Melton, even though it should be taking them from Crawford. But I just hold, I'd like to see what happens over the next two weeks here with DeAnthony. It doesn't mean that he automatically pushes to 30, because as I said, he's been playing 21 a night in these three games before Oubre arrives and before Rivers arrives. So not having Rivers arrive doesn't mean that automatically just going to give him an extra nine minutes per game. I don't think that's how it's going to go. But I do think that over time, we'll see it go to 23 or 24 because he's playing well. He's fitting well with Devin Booker. And that's exactly what they should be trying to develop, that that backcourt partnership, and see exactly how that works out or how that can work to the benefit of this team. But that is the news with Austin Rivers being waived today by the Phoenix Suns. If you own a company or run a company or run their marketing and are looking for a new way to reach customers, you could have your company mentioned right now. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with the sponsors that they hear on their favorite podcasts. Our demographic is 98% male and more educated and higher earning than your traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor this podcast by emailing me at redrock at gmail.com. All right, let's go into these games. Yeah, break them down. There were eight of them across on the uh, across the old slate on Monday. Um, the first one of those, the Milwaukee Bucks, they took on the Detroit Pistons. They get the victory, 107-104. Yarni with a big 32-12-5, two blocks, and a perfect two of two from the line. So a strong performance from Matadokounmpo, while Brook Lopez, a weird line, 3 points but 5 blocks very not very often you get a guy with more blocks than points in 29 minutes. Lopez has been a big uh, a big pleasant surprise this season. There was no Malcolm Brogdon, he was out of this game, so Tony Snell started. A decent game from Snelly, 12 and 6 with two triples, but he goes back to irrelevancy when Brogo returns. And the bench int- the rotations continued. We had Sterling Brown played 29 minutes one night. Out of the rotation the next. So Pat Connaughton could start and play big minutes. And then Connaughton in this game, out of the rotation again. So Sterling Brown to come back in and play 26 minutes. It's confusing. I like Brown more than Connaughton. He had nine, three, and three with three steals here, but none of them are going to crack really 12-team reliability. Eric Bledsoe's free throw struggles continue. He was two of five, still had 17, three and nine with two steals. So the rest of the line was fine while George Hill continues his struggles. I think he's washed up at this point. I think he's done one point in 14 minutes for George, and he won't be really having any sort of fantasy impact this season. And a quick shout out to someone who I thought was one of the worst picks in last year's draft, DJ Wilson, probably his best NBA game. 26 minutes with Ersan over sidelined. He had nine points, three rebounds and three assists with a block. Really meaningful action, probably the first meaningful action he's gotten. Uh, through his NBA career, and he acquitted himself fairly well. So that's a positive for him in dynasty formats. I'm not massively into him still. I just don't really see where he fits in the league, but that was a, a real positive sign to see him do that. For the Pistons, the duck, Luke Kennard. He started again, 23 minutes for three points. He's clearly not a 12-team league guy at this point. I'll still watch him for a bit, but he, is, uh, he he's struggling to fit in at the moment, while the duck, the duck, the baby shark, Bruce Brown, uh, he was almost out of the rotation. Just the four minutes here for uh, for the Shark. He was providing some okay value. I do like him long-term, but it's not going to be much this season. It was a good bounce back from uh, Reggie Bullock, 24 with five triples. He's still more of a 14-team league guy to me than anything, while Blake Griffin had a quadruple drop- double, including turnovers, 19, 10, and 11 with the 10 turnovers, and Drummond 10 and 14 as the, as, uh, the field goal percentage was the real culprit here. He went 4 of 12 from the field. Um, the tackle box John Lua over, um, over Zaza Pachula is an interesting one. That's one to watch for your deeper formats as well. Let's go um, into the next game. It is the Phoenix Suns. They beat the New York Knicks. TJ Warren just continues to be unbelievable, really. 26-5 and five with four triples, three steals, and two blocks. I completely misread Warren this season. I didn't know what sort of minutes he was going to get. I sure as shit didn't expect him to develop a three-point shot and take as many attempts as he did or shoot them as well as he did. It's probably the most unexpected and unbelievable thing that there is has been this season. For a guy that was like a 20% three-point shooter who'd take like one a game, to be banging in four of eight in this game, you're really establishing himself as a starting power forward and making his contract, which look bad, look really good. Just an unbelievable, well-rounded performance. He's still rostered in 76% of Yahoo leagues. The other 24% of Yahoo leagues are clearly just taking selfies of their assholes in the mirror and not paying attention to their fantasy league because there is no way that he should be rostered in 76% of leagues. Devin Booker, 38-7-2 with two steals strong from him while DeAndre Ayton feasted against the Knicks big man. What a stunner that is. 21-13 in 29 minutes while Rashawn Holmes, big man, also feasted against the Knicks, 13-4 with two blocks. Holmes is two really high numbers. The field goal percentage and blocks were added again. They're well above anything he's done in his career. And that's a little bit uh, of a warning sign in terms of regression. But that production is 12-team worthy. I'm just not sure I can keep up. Jamal Crawford, a career high, 14 assists with six points in 26 minutes. That is as fluky as it gets. Again, it's a career high. And the guy's been playing since uh, the ABA days. So I don't really think we can be expecting distributor Jamal Crawford to be this guy at, at his at his advanced age at this point. Well, Josh Jackson shot the ball well as well. I told you it was a weird night. Five of nine, 14.7 rebounds and three assists while McCall Bridges played 33 minutes. Now, Kelly Oubre is going to come in and play minutes. Will it be 30 minutes? Will it be 25 minutes? And where do they come from? I would hope they would come majority from Crawford, but Jackson and Bridges are going to lose out as well. Bridges has been playing consistently more than Jackson, so I could push Joshi back to a 20-minute-a-night guy. Bridges back to a 27-minute-a-night uh, minute guy. Crawford back to a 19-minute, and then Oubre comes in at 26. I'm still really not sure how that rotation is going to run out. We'll see it next game, which I believe is on Wednesday for the Suns as to how that all pans out. As for Melton, he had 3-1-2 and two with a steal. Not the greatest line. The 21 minutes, not ideal. Again, I'd hold for a few and just see what happens. But if he plays like 15 minutes next game because Oubre's around, that's poor coaching. But it also is a sign to drop. For the Knicks, there was no Tim Hardaway. So Courtney Lee, yes, he's alive. 12 points in 22 minutes for four rebounds for Lee. He probably shouldn't be in the rotation when Dotson, Trier, and Hardaway all return. But at the moment, they're all out. So he's playing. Ennis Canter had 13 and 10, while the fort Kevin Knox. Could it be a more Kevin Knox line if it tried? 17 and five with two triples, no assists, no steals, no blocks, 38% from the field, three or four from the line. Pretty interesting in fantasy points leagues. Um... Pretty frustrating in category leagues because he just isn't doing anything in any of those other areas. I still do believe he is a 12-team league guy, but man, that, that frustration is going to continue. Noah Vonleh, I don't know what to make of this bloke. I don't think he's a 12-team league guy. 3-7 and seven in 17 minutes for Vonleh. He's up. He's down. This wasn't even really necessarily a huge foul trouble. No, he did have 3,017 minutes. But his block rate in his field goal percentage and three-point percentage, two things or three things which really, really lifted his value this season, well above career norms, uh, have started to regress back to what he'd done in the past. So uh, that is worth noting with Von I think he's more of a 14-teamer. Next, we look at the Sacramento Kings and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Kings, Bogdan Bogdanovich played 10 minutes. Willie Cauley-Stein played seven minutes. Nemanja Bielica played five minutes. Darren Fox played six minutes. Buddy Heald had played 18 minutes. Now, Heald scored 21 points in those 18 minutes. Dave Yeager gave up. Now, lots of people running to defend Dave Yeager. That's a schedule loss. Oh, three games in four nights. Like no NBA team has ever had to do that before. The Kings just just dealt with such a hard schedule that no one's had to deal with three games in four nights. So he gave up six minutes in. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You can limit their minutes, sure. Uh, These are are young-ish kids. This is not a huge load that's being put on their body. It feels like he was trying to make some sort of a point after all the shenanigans of him back and forwarding with the front office and Doncic, and then tripping over his own deck trying to backpedal on the statements he made the day before with his comments today, and that was what the quote was at the start of the show. For the next, you know, for half of the Durant, next Durant Westbrook combo to play six minutes, you're either a terrible coach or a terrible judge of talent, or you're full of shit, or a combination of all three. So there's literally nothing that we can gain out of looking at this box score. And if Dave is not, if Dave is fired by the end of this week, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, because there is obviously a power play, pissing contest, however you want to phrase it, there's some shit going on there, and it's Sacramento, and they're playing well. But still, there's dysfunction happening behind the scenes. So you got a big game from Harry Giles. Yogi Ferrell scored 16 points. Frank Mason had 12, 4, and 6. But it all means nothing. It means nothing at all because Scalabissier played 29 minutes, and he's alive, and he did hit a couple of threes, but this is not what's going to happen. Amazingly, Zach Randolph didn't play at all. Still, he's yet to play a minute. What a signing that was. Um, I don't know what more to make of you know this, this game from, from Jaeger, and from the Kings and you know, sending messages, it's 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 ridiculous, really. Now, on to the Timberwolves. Speaking of ridiculous, the other team pulls their starters six minutes into the game. You're 30 points up at halftime. You've got one guy, your elite wing defender, who's on a bum knee, who looks like he's hobbling around. So you play him 36 minutes and run him into the ground. Come on, Tommy. You've got to do better than that, mate. Now, Covington looked a little bit better in this game, 13-5-2 with two steals and a block. But why is he playing 36 minutes? Towns played 21 minutes, so you, you eased off on him. Wigo played 27. Derek Rose only played 24 minutes. Why aren't you getting James Nunnally out there? Why isn't CJ Williams taking some of those minutes off Covington? Did he forget he was in the game? The only guy who really... You know, if Towns played 32 minutes, I'd say, that's fair enough. That's Whatever, that's fine. But a guy who you'd been limiting because of knee problems prior to this game, you play him more than an average NBA starter. I'll never get this, book, I never will. But much like the Sacramento side of things, not a lot to take out of this. 20 minutes for Sharic, he moved back to the bench with Gibson returning. 12 and 7, that's decent production, but if he's going to play 20 and 9 uh, behind Gibson, it is a hard 12 team roster. But we've got to talk about Joshua Kogi, who looked great again. 10 3 and 3 with two steals and a block. He's been in the rotation recently taking some of those minutes off the top of Covington. I just don't see anywhere near a large enough role for him to be fantasy relevant this season. I've heard people say, "Oh, they should just replace Wiggins with him." And that's fair enough. It's just never going to happen. They're not going to do that. They're not going to say, "Well, we are, you're out of the rotation entirely and we're going to be playing a Kogi 36 a night." They're just not going to do that. Also not going to play Wiggins 24 minutes a night so a Kogi can come in and play his 16 a night. So when someone goes down, and, and Jeff Teague was out of this game and allowing Kogi into the rotation. It's good. We get to see it. I love him, his long-term potential. I think he can be a real fantasy stud. It's just not going to happen for him this season. Again, that game, I spoke of but for a game. It was an absolute write-off in terms of trying to get fantasy value out of it. Um, I don't uh, I don't really think that we need to uh, go too much more into it. I probably talk for too long uh, on it as is. Another blowout. The Bulls lose to the Thunder 121 96 Cameron Payne played 22 minutes and had 11, three, and six as he revenge-gamed his way to one of his best performances of the season, getting some extra minutes with Zach Levine out. He's been playing more uh, more shooting guard recently. I wouldn't read too much into it. While Chris Dunn had 12, two, and seven, Dunn is available on waiver as well. You should add him as well as Justin Holiday, who had two blocks to go with his three triples and three assists, and his minutes. I don't think are going anywhere. Um, Jim Boylan's handling of Wendell Carter continues to be frustrating. 19 minutes for Carter. Foul trouble did do him in, but he should have been playing a lot more than what he was. Eight and four with two blocks. I am still holding because I am a uh, not. I'm not impatient. I am a stubborn. That's the right word. I'm a stubborn asshole, and I will hold on to Carter because I do believe in him, and I do believe at some point Boylan, some sort of light will flick on. Until I realize that Boylan is a stubborn numbnuts and doesn't necessarily see that, then then I may move on. But I'm still holding Wendell at this point. But the minutes distribution's been far from ideal. Punch Bob had 16 points in his 23 minutes. Bobby Portis, two rebounds and no other stats. That's as, that's as Portisy as it can get. I think he's probably fringe 12 rather than must-add 12-team player while Robin Lopez was ejected. i oh, shout out to Jim Boylan for getting involved in a, in a fight and uh, and almost smacking Jeremy Grant upside the head as well. So yeah, that's what you want your coach doing. Westbrook, hit some free throws. Three or four, there you go. But uh, still 39% from the field. 13, 16, 11 with five five steals. While Paulie George had 24, 8, and 4 with three steals himself. Schroeder's efficiency had dropped recently. It was a nice bounce back in a good matchup, 18 18 for him on 10 shots, while Steven Adams had 19 and 8 and continues to be an absolute disaster from the line. Jeremy Grant, 13 and 2 in his 30 minutes. He's as low upsidey 12 12-team-y as it gets, so he's fine in that 100 to 130 type of range. He blocks shots. He's hitting threes at a decent level. He doesn't really rebound the ball very well, but he's doing enough there to be a 12-team league guy, just one of the least exciting 12-team league guys that you can, uh, that you can find. The Houston Rockets beat the Jazz 102-97. Gobert had 18-13 with four assists and three blocks, while the Don started slowly, ended up with 23-8-5 with three steals on 22 shots. So the efficiency is not quite there, but we have seen a bit of an uptick in his free throw attempt rate, which I think is really going to be key for him jumping up the rankings. Jay Crowder started against, uh, against the Rockets. I think Crowder might actually start next game, which is against the Warriors as well. He played 33 minutes and had 14-10. and 10. He's not. He's more of a 14-teamer, but you could stream him against Golden State while Favors only played the 16 minutes in what is one of the worst matchups for him in the NBA. Plus, he got into foul trouble as well, while Ravishing Rick had 12-4-4 four four on 50% shooting. I've seen a lot of people mention they want to drop Joe Ingles. I wouldn't do that. This is a perfect buy low time on Ingles. He's struggling a little bit, no doubt about that. 5-2-6 in 25 minutes. But I would not be dropping him, and I would buy low. As for the Rockets, Chris Paul continues to not be able to shoot for whatever reason. 11-3-9 on 10-shot attempts, 4 steals. So the other numbers are all there. Just his legendary point guard efficiency has disappeared, and it's pretty frustrating. Clint, Clint Capella had 5 points, but 14 boards, 3 steals, and 5 blocks. That's excellent. And he hit both his free throws as well. So, sorry, no, he didn't. He was 1-5 from, from his free throws, so shit house. Uh, Eric Gordon, 12 points in 37 minutes. I'm done with him in 12 team leagues. I think he's gone. You can find better options on the wire. While one game, we had Daniel House step up for Jim Ennis. The next game, we had Gerald Green. In this one, we had nobody step up and get uh, get value uh, at that position. Um, and yeah, they're just streamers for deeper leagues, and that's really about it. Another blowout on the slate with the Philadelphia 76ers losing to the Spurs, 123-96. An absolutely terrible performance from Jim Butler. Six points for General Saunas with three rebounds, two assists and a steal on three of 13 shooting. Um, Shake Milton, a nice little performance. He's been a regular rotation guy over the last four or five, only getting single-digit minutes, but 10 points with four rebounds. I liked him coming out of the draft. Hasn't really had much of of a chance here. Um, JJ Reddick had 16. Wilson Chandler, Baby Neck had 10, five and four, and Simmons had 16, six and six. But the minutes were limited here due to the blowout nature of the game. For the Spurs, they benched Derek White. They started Dante Cunningham and then started Bertans in the second half. Davis was great, 16, six and three in 25 minutes. But there's no trust in any of those three guys: Bertans, Cunningham, or White. White's the only guy who would pay any attention to in 12 or 14 team leagues. DeRozan had 26 and 7, while Aldridge had 20 and 10 with three blocks. And Rudy Gay continues to be great recovering from his Achilles, 21 and 6, with a triple one. He is shooting the three at an astonishingly high rate, which is due to come back at some point. I think he's at like 47% from three. That's going to come back. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, that's going to come back to earth at some point, while Bryn Forbes is nowhere near a 12 team league guy or even a 14. I saw an article written that the Spurs should send Bryn Forbes and the Raptors first round pick in exchange for Nick Vucevic because the Magic are in desperate need of a starting point guard. It'd be great if you included a starting point guard in that trade because Bryn Forbes is not is not that at all. But uh, shout out to him for actually having an NBA career unlike myself. All right, let's go on to the next one. Um... It is the Portland Trailblazers and the, the LA Clippers. The Clippers, man, they have lost seven of the last nine. They are struggling. 131, 127. Lillard had 39 with six assists and two steals. McCullum had 27. And Yusuf Nurkic, a great matchup and a great performance. 23 and seven. Well, Mo Harkless, big offensive game. 13 points on seven shots with the triple one. He's starting to get a little interesting. He's an add in 16 teamers. He's only rostered in 2% of Yahoo League. So all you 20 teamers, all you 18 teamers, all you 16 teamers, I think you've got to be looking at Harkless. And in 14 teamers, that performance there is a 12 team performance. It's not going to happen all that often, but he's pushing forward, and he was that guy at second half of last season. So have a look, uh, have a look at him if he's available in those deeper formats. Summertime it may be good. Summertime it may be shit. The chief, El Farkamenu, eight and ten with three assists. Another solidish night. Shot 60%. I'm waiting for the absolute ass to fall out of his shooting, but at this point, it's uh, it's solid enough, and not much else to talk about. With the Blazers, Toby Harris had 39 and 11, while Patrick Beverly 11 assists in 31 minutes with 10 points and four rebounds. He's coming more into 14-team focus with the injury to to Lou Williams, while Shea Gildas-Alexander bounced back from a couple of stinkers, 24, two, and three. I can't state enough how much I believe he is a 12-team league guy, and I'd hold through the, the rocky times, um, I understand anyone's desire to drop. As I said, I'm pretty stubborn and I'd hold him and I'm looking more long-term. At some point, you do have to pivot from long to short-term. I'm not there yet. While the table, Montres Harrell was ejected, but he was getting back to his best. 15-6-4 and, and hit his free throw. So that's a real positive there. So that's a good sign before that ejection. Gortat was piss poor. Zero points in his 10 minutes, while Boban played only the five minutes for two Two points there. Well, Ty Wallace, the list manager, starting to look good again. He's better than Avery Bradley, I reckon, at this point. And that might seem bold, but Bradley's so bad. 8-4-2 for the list manager with two uh, with a steal as well. Remember how good of a fantasy player Ty Wallace was last season? I'm not saying he's getting back to that. But he is pushing himself forward ahead of Milos Dosic now. He's knocked him off the list. And then Bradley could be the next one. We'll see how that goes. But he is a name to watch. More, of course, just for your deeper leagues. The last game of the night, the Golden State Warriors hosted the Memphis Grizzlies. They um, unsurprisingly won pretty comfortably, one ten 10-93, especially once it was revealed. Mike Conley was out. Omri Caspi with his best game of the season, 20 points on 10 shots in 21 minutes, revenge game for him, while Marcus Sol had 15-6-6. Six six. Very little to talk about with all the minutes reduced here. Shelvin Mack had 8-4 and four in his 26 minutes in the start. Jaron Jackson Jr., only 22 minutes by low. Just go low, real low in trying to acquire him. Throw Jermichael Green, throw Derek Favors, throw Cody Zeller, throw anyone because people are frustrated with him. Just just do it. It might not work, but it will work for someone. And if you manage to buy low on Jaron Jackson, please let me know. Javon Carter, Looks solid-ish again. His second meaningful NBA minutes, 5-3-2 in 25 minutes as a backup here. I do like him long-term for dynasty formats. While Kyle Anderson returned, he had 14-5. None of those juicy defensive numbers, but enough for him to be a 12-team league guy, and he's floating around on a lot of wires. For the Warriors, Durant had 23. The astronaut Steph Curry had 20-7, while Clay had 16-5, with a surprising array of defensive numbers, three steals and a block. For Claywall, Yunus Jarepko, 16 points with four triples in 26 minutes. He's playing some center. I like what he's doing at the moment, Jarepko. He's a solid 16 to 18 team league guy. And Demarcus Cousins might impact him when he comes back, but I don't know, he's been playing so well. I think Jordan Bell's going to be the guy out of the rotation. Pretty clearly, he's going to be gone ahead of Jarepko. And uh, I think you'll see Looney lose some playing time, and they'll keep a bit more of Jonas there because of his ability to shoot, which has been super impressive. Draymond had 8, 7, and 5. And yeah, not uh, he's not going to be that top twenty guy. I feel pretty uh, pretty comfortable in uh, in suggesting that at this point. All right, let's uh, let us move on now to talk some DFS action for uh, what day? For Tuesday. But before we do that, we'll recap. The uh, perfect lineups on DraftKings Jimmy Harden, 71.5, Devin Booker, Stan Johnson, Toby Harris, Rudy Gobert, Emmanuel Moutier, Omri Caspi, and Tyus Jones for a total of 374 That cost the full $50,000. And then on Fangio, you had Moutier, Tyus Jones, Jim Harden, Devin Booker, Tony Warren Jr., Omri Caspi, Toby Harris, Eunice Jurepko, and Rudy Gobert for a total of 407.6. And that cost $59,900. dues. All right, let's look at these games now. Four games on Tuesday across the NBA, focusing more on DraftKings pricing today. The first game that we take a look at is the Cleveland Cavaliers traveling to take on the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are 12.5-point favorites. The total is 208, a huge blowout risk here. None of the other spreads are more than five points. This is the only one that goes into double digits. So that is a real concern in terms of utilizing some of these Indiana guys or even some of the Cleveland guys that the game could be out of hand early and their minutes do get limited. Uh, At point guard... In this game, Darren Collison's at 5,000. He's averaging only 18 points over the last three. That coincides with Victor Oladipo's return, so a little bit tough to consider using him while the young bull Padawan, Colin Sexton, 4,800, also mired in a little bit of a slump, just a a 17.5-point average over his last three. This is always the concern with Sexton that he doesn't do anything else apart from score, if 4800 is not a bad price, I'd feel better about using him than I would with Colson, but there is still a risk there, of course. Victor Oladipo at 9100 had a huge game the last time out across the weekend, had 57 points in that one. The blowout risk is the only reason that I, I would consider steering clear of him in cash, but... You're on a limited slate. He is a, an option, of course, and a, a relatively solid one. Jordy Clarkson at 6,100 has been playing really well, but that is a significant price rise for Clarko. He is averaging 36 over the last three, but he is inconsistent. There is Matthew Dellavedova, who they're giving minutes to as Alec Burks and Rocket Rodney Hood in that mix as well. And that could also limit what Clarkson does. But the minutes and the production have been up recently. Uh There's a chance that continues, but that salary does uh, turn the appeal off somewhat. While Alec Burks, who I did mention him, He's been dreadful. 4200 for Berksy. It'd only be for tournaments that I'd consider using him. Boyan Bogdanovich, the numbers have also dropped off with Boyan since the return of Victor Oladipo. I don't think anyone would be really too surprised there. 5200 might be just a little bit too high for Boyan, but not not an outrageously high price. While Tyreek Evans is questionable in this game, and I wouldn't be utilizing him even if he did play. As for Hood and Nwaba, a couple of other shooting guard, small forward eligible players for Cleveland. Rocket Rodney has been putting up some decent enough numbers, but he is inconsistent and hard to rely upon while Nwaba just doesn't play enough. On the wing, Chetty Osmond's at 47. He exceeded that last game with 27 points, but had really come nowhere near that in any of his previous games. So I'd look at Chetty as tournament only, and even then, not really a super strong option. Doug McDirt, not really doing it for me. Well, Fiduce Young's at 6,200. He'd been really killing it. Last game brought him back to earth with just 24 points, and I'm not sure that this is the greatest matchup For young, blowout risk. The Cavs have defended power forwards relatively well this season as well. I think he might be in fade territory. I do like Larry Nance at 6,000, though. Uh, Larry Drew did dick him around a little bit last game, playing him only the 26 minutes, but he's been putting up pretty strong numbers. That last game was his lowest output in his last five. I think 6,000 is a reasonable price for Nance, and he should be considered in your player pool. Well, DeMonta Sabonis and Miles Turner. The blowout risk is probably the only reason I'd worry too much here. 6,900 for Sabonis. Giggity! 7000 for Turner. Yeah, both of those are okay prices, but that uh, that blowout risk is a real issue Well, Ante Zizic at 3300. I actually like Zizic as a GPP guy. He started last game, he played 17 minutes. It was far from his best performance, but he can put up some okay numbers if he does get 20 minutes and I wouldn't put it past Drew giving him yeah, excessive minutes at the expensive Nance. So that would make Zizic a GPP sort of a player. On Vangel no one really standing out. Again, the blowout risk is, is not ideal here. I don't mind the 5,200 for Boyan on fangil 96 for Oladipo is probably just a little bit too high. And the 54 for Jordan Clarkson comes in much more appealing on on, uh, on fangil as it does uh, in comparison to where it sits on DraftKings. Let's go on to the next game. We're looking at the Washington Wizards and the Atlanta Hawks. The Wizards are four and a half point favorites and the total is 235. We're likely to see Trevor Ariza make his debut for the Washington Wizards in this game. So that should be uh, interesting to see how those rotations all work out. At point guard, you've got Trey Young at 6,400. He's been giving you around 30 a night. He is inconsistent. But I don't hate using him here. Well, Thomas Sataransky, 29 points last game for Sataransky. It took 46 minutes to get there. He's at 4,300 and Ariza arriving. It does complicate things slightly, but he is the only backup guard on this team. So he's going to be getting mid-20s in minutes, I would imagine. And maybe even 30, especially with Otto Porter out injured here also. So I think Thomas at 43 is, is definitely worth a look on DraftKings. Jeremy Lin at 38. Probably not. Well, John Wall on a real roll at the moment. 9,800 for Johnny. He had 80 against uh, the Lakers last game. He's averaging 62 in his last three. The matchup is a very, very positive one. I think you'll find some better options on DraftKings, but Wall is in a a real nice run, and, and the matchup suits him perfectly. Kevin Huerta at 4,300, didn't really live up to that last game, but I'm happy to get back on board with Huerta in this game, and then you've got DeAndre Bembry at 3,900, Kent Bazemore at 63, I actually like Bazemore at 63 quite a bit, I think he's a cash and a tournament guy, while Brad Beal at 8,500, his lowest score in his last five, Beal, has been 35, that's a rock solid floor, and without Otto Porter, that should help Beal a little bit in this one, even with Trevor Ariza arriving. On the wing, you've got a Reza at 4,600. I love that price for a Reza. He's averaging 33, his last three with Phoenix. I think that's a really strong price to look at with Trevor there. Well, Jeff Green. My name is Jeff. Green is at 4,800. I imagine that he starts. Uh, in place of Otto Porter, and should be able to get to 30 points as well. I think both Green and Ariza are relatively strong options in this one. Sam Decker at 3,800, a huge game last time out for Decker. is going to take a lot of his minutes in this one, and Markeith Morris got hurt last game too, and that impacted Sam's minutes. So I wouldn't be you know, putting everything on Sam uh, repeating that sort of performance, for the big men, The Undertaker, Dwayne Dedman, on a roll, 5,600. I think that's really hard to go past. He's putting up consistent numbers. The minutes are up. I'm in on him. While Markeith Morris is down at 5,100 because the production from him has been somewhat underwhelming of late. So I think that Markeith at 5,100 is is worth having a look at, and I think that's probably a, a cash sort of a play. Well, the Baptist John Collins is up to 7,900 because he's putting up m- monster numbers. That might be getting just a little bit too high for Johnny, who is averaging 44 over the last five. So 44 over the last five would tell us that it's not too high. I'm just, I'm not so certain about it. I think there's use in it, but it's not as no-brainer of a play as what he has been over the past couple. On Fangel, like Saturansky, Beal, Deadman. Collins and Baysmore quite a bit over there. Wall is up at 10,400. So that's pushing it, I think, in this, in this one. But you might be able to, on a smaller slate in a GPP, put Wall in and have decent confidence in his, uh, in his floor. While Young Huerta and Jeff Green, I think, are probably more tournament guys, green leaning cash, uh, as opposed to the other two. Let's go on to the next one. We're looking at the uh, Los Angeles Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets. The Lakers are two-point favorites, and the total is 228. The Nets have actually won five games in a row, so that's uh, that's obviously interesting. JaVale McGee and the blue swimmer Alan Crabb are both questionable for the Lakers and for the Nets, respectively. If uh, McGee is out, you're going to get some uh, more Tyson Chandler, some more Ivica Zubat, some more Flamin' Mo Wagner, and if Alan Crabb is out, you're going to get Rowdy Rodion's Karooks. Probably move into that starting lineup as well as extra minutes from Damari Carroll. For the point guards, Lonzo Ball at 6,500. He on a nice stretch at the moment, averaging 32 over the last five. That is somewhat of a bump in salary. It's a $600 bump, in fact, on DraftKings. And that takes a little bit of the shine off using using Lonzo there. And then you've got the former Laker, D'Angelo Russell, at 8,100. He dropped 57 last game. I think 8,100 for D'Angelo is too high, while Spencer Dinwiddie at 7,600 also feels a little bit too high. I'm not really sure, especially with Lonzo guarding them. I'm not really certain that either of those guys at that salary is going to return value. Lance Stevenson's at 3800 He is a GPP sort of a guy. He's giving you 29 night at the moment, so that's actually worthwhile even considering in cash if you've got some other high-priced guys in there. Well, Smoke and Joe Harris at 4900 just turning into a rock of consistency, adding assists to his game now as well, which helps his value. I actually don't mind using Joe Harris here. The Contavious co Pope went big for the Lakers last time, but he is inconsistent. It would just be tournaments. He had 44 in that Lakers loss against the Wizards. Uh, For the wing, uh, Damari Carroll, 3,800. If uh, Alan Crabb is out, I think 20 points for Damari seems like a reasonable reasonable expectation, and that's fine at 3,800. And then you got the future MVP, Kyle Kuzma, who is at 7,500. His production has dipped just a little bit these last couple for DFS, averaging just 32 over the last three, which isn't enough at 7,500. But against the Nets, I wouldn't have too many hesitations in putting him in. Jarrett Allen at 5,500 has really been underwhelming in terms of his overall production. I'm not certain that he is a... Um, a must roster guy, but I think he's got some appeal. What Tyson Chandler at 37 would be interesting enough in cash if JaVale McGee sits. As for JaVale himself, at 4,700, we know big men against the Nets go off. And that would give me some uh, some value in using McGee, who did have 34 points in that last game when he was sick. Rondé Hollis Jefferson at 57. Actually putting up some okay numbers not sure I trust it uh, I'm pretty sure I don't in fact so it'd just be for tournaments but even then I'm not sure his upside is high enough to really make him a solid gpp play on Fangil Kuzma and uh, and Lonzo have some gpp value there uh, Jarrett Allen at 6000 a little bit too I don't mind Smokin' Joe at 4900 and Ronde at 5600 is a more appealing Fangil target than he is on DraftKings The last game is the Dallas Mavericks and the Denver Nuggets. The Mavericks, we've got J.J. Barea and Maxi Kleber, both questionable. Dennis Smith is doubtful. And then for the Nuggets, show Hernan Gomez is questionable. If he is out, I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to get a lot of Malik Beasley, a bit more Trey Lyles as well, because we're talking about Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap. All these guys are still out for the Nuggets, so it's going to be very inter- interesting to see how those minutes would go down in that scenario. I like the blue arrows, 6,600 for Jamal Murray here. Great matchup for him. He's you're putting up consistent enough 30 plus point nights most times, as well as Monty Morris, 4,700, who's backing up Jamal and also playing alongside of him. Monty is averaging 31 points in the last three. No worries there. And if one shows out, even stronger value for Monty Morris. Uh, Jalen Bronson, the burner, he's at 4,100. I think he's more of a GPP guy. We know that Smith is out, and if Barea is out, that would really solidify some of of Bronson's value. Um, Has been a little bit disappointing the last couple of games, and are not really racking up the numbers we'd hope. While Malik Beasley at 34 would be strong, I think, if one show happened to sit out. Um, other wings we look at, Tory Craig at 36. He had a nice 23-pointer last game. He'd be worth looking at at least if Hernan Gomez happens to be sidelined, but I don't really like Craig's upside all that much. While Wes Matthews at 45 is uh, not a great matchup for him defensively in this one. I think we look at him for GPPs. Uh, you got Luka Doncic at 7,700. I really like Luka here. He's averaging over 40 in the last five. It is a decent enough matchup for him. Nuggets are pretty good defensively, but you know, wing and power forward players have had some success so far this season. So Doncic is absolutely in play here. One uh, shows at 47. I think I'd fade that with his issue. Trey Lyles at 42 could be an interesting tournament guy if One Show is unable to go. While the pencil. Harrison Barnes, 5,400, a pretty decent cash play. I'm not sure his upside is that high, but a 26, 27 point performance from Harrison is not crazy. On the big man, Mason Plumlee, I like at 5,400. He should get the starting nod again. While Nikola Jokic at 97, that's a great, great price. He is the stud that I pay up for on this DraftKings slate. Really love that from Jokic. DeAndre Jordan's at 6,800. That's a decent enough price. He had 47 last game. I'm not certain that he's a must-roster guy or anything really close to that, but there's a, at least a level of interest in him. While Dwight Powell, Dirk Nowitzki, Maxi Kleber, I can't really see any uh, fantasy value in those guys. On Fangio, uh, Murray, Jokic, Barnes, Doncic, I think they've all got pretty strong cash and tournament appeal. Well, uh, Plumlee at 6,200 is probably a little bit high for cash, but there is some tournament value there. Same with Wessie, Wes, Matthews. All right, let's go on to the studs and values now. Uh, DraftKings, Jokic at 9,700. He is my stud and my value play is Thomas Satoransky at 43. On Fangio, my stud is Jamal Murray at 81 and my value is Satoransky as well. On Yahoo, my stud is Johnny Wall and my value play is Mason Plumlee as a minimum. And on Draft Stars, my uh, stud is Jokic and my value play is Mason Plumlee. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, tune in, stitch to Spotify or get your smart speaker to play the podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore and the Locked On Network at LockedOnNBA.net. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Dave Yeager.